Hey everyone, welcome to the Revive West Des Moines podcast. I'm Jamie Richards, the Young Adult Minister at Hope West Des Moines. What you are about to hear is the live recording from Revive West Des Moines this past week. We hope you can connect with God and the good life that God has for you through what you hear in this message. Check it. Well, hello, Revive. It's so good to be here tonight. Oh, my name is Ashley Lentz. I'm a pastor at our Ankeny campus, uh, and we don't have Revive like this, and so it's so fun. It's such a treat for me to get to come to West Des Moines and hang out with you all. And for those watching online, it's so great that you're tuning in too. Hello to all of you. Uh, tonight we dive in. We're in this series called Next Level Adulting, and it follows the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and we're in chapter four if you're reading the book, uh, but that chapter is Journey Through the Wall. <clears throat> and you're probably wondering, what is the wall? And we'll get there in just a second. But kind of the tagline for this series has been kind of the subtitle of the book. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And so our emotions and our spirituality, they're, they're tied together, and God works through all of that to bring us closer to him. And so our tagline, if you will, for the series tonight, we become emotionally healthy people by surrendering control and allowing God to do his work in our life. We become emotionally healthy people and spiritually healthy people by surrendering control and allowing God to do his work in our life. And so what I want you to hear clearly is that this is God's work in your life. This is not all the things that you do. As Christians, we have a tendency to uh, maybe map stuff out and say, okay, a good Christian reads their Bible this amount of times, prays this amount of time in a day or a week or a month. I go to church this amount of times. I'm in this small group. I lead here. I do that there. Don't misunderstand. Those are good things. But what we're talking about tonight is actually releasing control and saying, I don't actually have control of all of this. Dropping it at the foot of the cross and letting God invade our spiritual life, letting God invade our emotional life to bring us into a deeper relationship with him. And so we surrender control and we actually make space. We wait while God does the work. And so we become emotionally healthy people by surrendering control and allowing God to do his work, even when that work means waiting at the wall. Waiting at the wall. It's not fun. It seems daunting. So what is the wall? Let's talk about that. This chart came straight out of uh, the book, but I, I think I'm a visual learner, so I think it's pretty helpful. And that image I found on like a stock image site, so you know, it's like not like copyrighted, but I thought it was perfect. Like that's what the wall feels like, right? You're sitting at the wall and you're just like, what is happening? <laughs> and I don't know how to go around this wall or through this wall or under this wall or over this wall. I'm at the wall. Okay, so stage one, if, if you will, cycles of faith or spirituality is this life-changing awareness of God. If you are in this room tonight, if you are watching online, you've probably experienced an awareness of God. You're in the room either searching for it, you know there's something there that exists, or you're a little bit past that. You're like, yeah, I've had this life-changing awareness of God. So that's going to be stage two, discipleship. And I like the parentheses that says learning. Uh, disciple is a fancy word for follower of Christ. It, it encompasses a lot of stuff. Uh, technically, my title at the Ankeny campus is discipleship pastor. You know what that means? It means I do a piece of everything. <laughs> That's what disciples do. You just follow what God has called you to do. And in that process, you learn. You learn what it is. 
that the calling on your life might be, that, that God is equipping you to do. You come to church, you get connected, you learn about the Bible, you embrace these things. That's stage two, being a disciple. Stage three is actively living that out. It's serving. You are becoming to know, like you're becoming in who you are that God has called you to be. And so what flows out of that becoming is serving. And so that pours up out of you and maybe you serve here at Revive. Maybe you serve in student ministry or in, on the worship team. Uh, but there's something, maybe you serve not within the church walls, which is totally fine, by the way. Uh, maybe you serve your community in various ways or at work you do things. It's the work of God bubbling up and out of you. That's stage three. And then we get the wall. <laughs> we get to the wall and notice the wall comes before what's called a journey inward. The wall is a season of time where God is working very deeply in us and it almost feels like he's not there. We actually perceive the wall as a time when God has abandoned us, God has left us, we don't feel his presence, we might do all this stuff to experience him. Experience him. You might come to church, you might come to small group, you might read your Bible, you might pray, but God is seemingly gone. That's the wall. I've had a wall experience, only one, and at the time, I didn't know it was a wall. I learned about the wall in seminary school, and my wall occurred when I was in, doing my undergraduate degree. Um, and by the way, I thought I was stage six on this, uh, on this lovely diagram. I thought I was this transformed Christian. Love was bubbling up in and out of me. I had grown up in church. I grew up at Hope, in fact, so I'm a little bit biased, but I thought I had it figured out. And I got to college, and uh, I went to the University of Iowa for undergrad, and I grew up here in Ankeny, and life was hard. Like, I had no idea what college was like. I was really, really, really homesick. It was an, only an hour and a half down the road, literally four turns from my parents' house to my dorm, because my parents live close to the interstate, and my dorm was right off the interstate. So, like, not a hard drive, but an hour and a half away. It was the first time I was without my family, and I was trying to figure out who I was. I wanted to get connected at a church, but I, there was not a church that I felt connected to. Hope local Iowa City didn't exist at the time because otherwise I for sure would have plugged in there. But like I was just searching. And in this season when arguably I needed God the most, he was nowhere to be found. At least that's what I thought. I thought he had left me. And as Christians, we're taught, if you don't feel God's presence, if you don't hear from him, uh, when you pray, when you come to church, if you're not like enveloped by his spirit, you're doing something wrong. That's a lie. That's a huge lie, friends. God promises to never leave us or forsake us. And so if you're not feeling his presence, it doesn't mean he's not there. It means you're at a wall. And it's part of the journey God is doing in you a deep spiritual work that is leading you into a closer and more free and more profound relationship with him. Like I said, I didn't know what the wall was until I was in seminary like four years after this happened. I wish I would have known. <laughs> because we have a tendency as Christians to hit a wall and walk backward and say, I'm messing up. I'm not doing this Christian thing right. I, there's something wrong with me because I no longer feel God in my life. So if you've ever hit a wall, this is, this is hitting, this is striking chords. You're like, oh yeah. If you haven't hit a wall, 
It's coming. That's part of the journey as a Christian. But God is doing a deep and profound work in these seasons. And we're not called to retreat and walk away. God's actually got you right where we learn to relinquish control, right where we learn to let him do the work in our lives. And so I want you to reflect, since we've just talked about the wall, you can reflect with those around you, or if you're at home and you're just journaling, that's totally fine. But do you think you've ever been at the wall? And if so, how did you move past it? And so find a buddy. Um, Jamie had us chat about uh, iced drinks at the beginning, and so maybe find the same buddy, maybe a different buddy. I don't know if you're extroverted, you find a different buddy. If you're introverted, totally fine to find the same buddy. Uh, But talk about, with a neighbor, just for a minute, um, do you think you've ever been at the wall? And if so, how did you move past it? Okay, ready? Go. All right, go ahead and wrap up your conversation, finish journaling, whatever you're thinking about. This is so good. I love hearing people talk in the room. Like that is just really, really exciting. For anybody at home, I'm so glad that you're participating too. It's totally fine that you're not in the room, but being here in the room, it's cool to hear people interacting. So um, we'll come back to this, I promise. So just tuck away whatever you talked about a little bit about, about the wall. Uh, but really, I want to di- dive into kind of like the deep theology behind this. So um, in the theological world, this is called a dark night of the soul. <laughs> this is called a dark night of the soul. The wall is the dark night of the soul. And any great theologian throughout world history, like from the beginning of church times— has written about a dark night of the soul that they've experienced. This is not a new thing. This is a normal part of a spiritual journey, and we just don't talk about it all that often. Why? Well, because we live in a world where seemingly we need to have it together all the time. As a Christian, you have your ducks in a row. Everything is good in life as a Christian, right? Of course, that's not always true. None of us are perfect. The world around us isn't perfect. 
So no, we don't have it together all the time, but we don't talk about this stuff. We don't talk about seasons where we don't feel God. But I'm sure many of you can relate to a time when you were like, I don't know where God is. An emotionally healthy faith can admit when we don't know where God is. It can admit these things that, that would make us seem like we don't actually have it all together, but the reality is none of us have it all together. That's a lie that the world tells us that we need to have it together. It's not true. God doesn't say that. In fact, God says, I use you in your brokenness. I put you back together and, and we're perfect in his sight, even in our brokenness. And so straight out of um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Cesaro, he writes, emotionally healthy faith can admit the following. I'm bewildered. I don't know what God is doing right now. I am hurt. I am angry. Yes, this is a mystery. I am very sad right now. Oh God, why have you forsaken me? When's the last time you were like, God, where the heck are you? Like you said that to him. Or you told a brother and sister in Christ, I am mad at God. I don't feel God. It's hard to admit these things. But emotionally healthy faith, emotionally healthy spirituality is okay with being vulnerable. He writes in the book, how do we know we are in the dark night? Our good feelings of God's presence evaporate. We feel the door of heaven has been shut as we pray. Darkness, helplessness, weariness, a sense of failure or defeat, barrenness, emptiness, dryness descend upon us. The Christian disciplines that have served us up to this time no longer work. He puts that in quotes. They no longer work. We can't see what God is doing and we see little or no fruit in our lives. In my season of being in the wall, it was about five months, I think. I was adding it up earlier today. I was going to church, I was reading my Bible, I was praying, I was doing all the stuff I'd normally done, and I was even doing it probably at a greater level when my, when my dark night began. I thought, oh, I just need to do more of the stuff. I'm not doing good enough in my spiritual disciplines. But a dark night is when we can do more, and God says, this isn't about you doing more. This is about me doing everything. The spiritual disciplines are good. We should be in habits of doing them. But a dark night, it's not up to us to fix. It's up to God to work in us. He doesn't necessarily fix us. He actually does a deep and profound work in us to bring us to the other side. That's what this quote talks about. This is from um, John Coe is a professor of theology and psychology at Biola. And when I was in seminary studying, we did like a semester studying the dark night of the soul and I'd never heard about it before. So when I was studying this, like it was deeply profound. And he, he writes an article um, that analyzes this. And he writes, the dark night of the soul is this season in which the spirit secretly does a deep work in the human spirit. A work that is so profound, but feels so foreign to the Christian's experience that it's often misinterpreted as the absence of God. It's so profound, but so foreign that it's often interpreted as the absence of God. If you've ever walked in one of these seasons and didn't know it was a dark night of the soul, now you're thinking, I wish I would have known it was a dark night of the soul because no, God didn't leave you. God was working in you. 
There is nothing we can do in these seasons to get to the other side. God does all of it. And if you would have asked me, Ashley, how did you get to the other side of your dark night? I literally do not know. God did it. God was the process that moved me forward. And I don't know how he did it or why he did it, but he moved me forward in this spiritual journey. And it's important we talk about this because God wants to do that for you too. When you hit a wall, when you hit a dark night of the soul, it's not time to turn around and retreat and shame ourselves because we feel like we're bad Christians. It's time to lean into the wall and wait and surrender control. At this point, I want to talk about the difference between the dark night or a trial. And here's why this is important, because um, the Bible tells us that we actually should persevere in our trials. Romans 5 verse 3 is one of my favorites, and it says, Suffering produces perseverance. Our trials produce perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. So I just told you we don't do the work in the dark night. So what's the deal with trials and suffering if we're supposed to persevere in those things? Well, trials, as in the book, he, he describes them as traffic jams, annoying bosses, delayed airplane departures, car breakdowns, fevers, and barking dogs at night. <laughs> These are small trials, and we can have greater sufferings and greater trials, but we work through them. We feel God's presence in them. Let me give you an example in my life right now. By the way, we cannot compare someone's trial to someone else's dark night and vice versa, because what I'm about to tell you might be one of your dark nights, and that's Okay. God works in all of us differently. All of our faith journeys are different. So a big trial in my life right now, my mom is suffering through breast cancer. She was diagnosed around Ash Wednesday and she's going through treatment and cancer stinks. But my family feels God more than we've ever felt him before in that journey. There's so much peace. There's so much comfort. I dare even say that we maybe find some joy and so that's, that's not a dark night. We feel God's presence. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, is what James writes. So trials are periods of time too, and we do persevere in those things. For my family, we are persevering through uh, my mom's breast cancer journey. No, it's not fun, but we find joy. We persevere in those things. A dark night though, dark night's walls. Abraham waiting 25 years for the birth of his first child. David fleeing a jealous king for 13 years in the desert. Job losing 10 children, health, and everything he has in one day. Ashley, in her freshman year at the University of Iowa, waiting five months, literally having no idea where God was in a season where I thought I needed him most. It's not necessarily the length of time that distinguishes a dark night, but you know when you don't feel God's presence anymore. You know when you read your Bible and it just seems silly. When you pray and you're like, great. When you come to worship and a song that used to make you tear up and get goosebumps because the Holy Spirit was in it, it's just empty. God works through our dark nights. There's nothing we can do. You know what Abraham had to do when he was waiting for his first child to be born? Wait. He had to trust God. David, King Saul, actually kind of adopted David as 
as a son almost. Like he liked him at the beginning. David slayed Goliath, remember? So King Saul was like, oh, David, cool guy. And then he, at the turn of a dime, he tries to kill him. And David's fleeing for years and years and years. You know what all David could do in that time? Wait. So I want to ask you again to reflect. And my first question is kind of a trick question. I didn't purposely try to trick you. But as we reflect on the difference now between a dark night and a trial, I want you to identify some trials and how you're persevering. And here's why we're doing this. Number one, if in the first question you actually identified a trial and not a dark night, then you know that I can persevere in this trial. And I didn't mean to trick you. I wasn't doing it on purpose. But it helps for clarity's sake for this question. So the first thing you identified, was it a dark night or was it a trial? And have have you been in a dark night now that you know the difference? And how is God using these things? If you've been past the wall, how did God use that? How did he persevere through you on the other side? If, we're talking, if you're talking about trials, like you, you maybe haven't been at a wall yet, how is he using that to move you forward in perseverance in your faith? And, by the way, if you're at the wall, if you're in a dark night, you probably can't identify a trial. Because, like, where is God? So this is a good clarifying question. I didn't purposely try to trick you. Maybe it will help you identify if you're at the wall. So either on your own or with the people around you, go ahead and reflect on those things. I'll give you a couple minutes. Go. Okay, go ahead and wrap up what you were talking about, thinking about. So good. So here, here's the point of, of the dark night. Here's, here's the point of what, of what we're getting to, is that emotionally healthy spirituality, being spiritually healthy, emotionally healthy, these things depend on our ability to relinquish control to God doesn't depend on anything that you and I do. We can do things to move us forward in our faith journey. We should be good spiritual disciples, read our Bibles, pray, come to church, be in small groups. But at some point, it's up to God. And it's up to us whether we fight that and we try to do more and more and more and more because we think it's up to us to move through the wall. Or if we get to the wall and we say, 
God, I can't do this. I'm mad. I'm sad. I don't know where you are. And I'm going to wait this out. That's hard. It's not fun. I was chatting with Jamie and Ashley after the last service, and we both, all three of us were like, if you've been through a wall, it's not fun. (laughs) It's hard. Ashley said, were you guys angry? And Jamie and I were like, yeah, we were mad. So we admit that we don't have it together all the time because that's unrealistic and we're humans. And we wait. Pete Cesaro in the book writes, ultimately, God is the one who moves us through the wall. And with that comes mystery. How and when God takes us through is up to him. It is his slow, deep work of transformation in us, not ours. We cannot do the transformational work that God is doing. We can't even compare. God moves us through the wall. And that means we wait. It means we surrender control. Um, In the first question I asked you, I said, how did you get through the wall? If you've been at a wall, if you've since identified, like maybe I was talking about suffering, but if you're like, no, I've been at a wall. I would be curious to know how you got through it because I can't tell you how I got through mine. I think it was kind of a series of events maybe, but I did not feel God for like five or so months and then it was over. I don't know why, it's a mystery. Somebody had said to me in that period of time toward the end of my dark night, um, I was still going to church, I was still in small group. Um, It was about January of my freshman year. And I was having a slumber party with my um, small group and one of the leaders of that small group looked at me and she was like, Ashley, I see God in you. And I think that was maybe a turning point where I thought, I haven't felt God in months. I haven't heard his voice. I've been doing all this stuff, but it, I don't think it's working. And somebody said to me in that moment that they still saw God in me, even though I didn't see that. It's the importance of community. If you're going through a dark night, it's okay and you're normal. That's part of the spiritual journey. Don't run away from it. But also surround yourself in community so that other people, when you can't do the work to get through the wall, other people can affirm you and lift you up. They can't do the work for you either. This is God's work. But they can certainly walk alongside you in a dark night. It is his slow, deep work of transformation in us not ours. The Psalms are a really good resource uh, when we go through seasons of trials even or of dark night seasons. The Psalms are a prayer book. Uh, We are reading through the Bible in a year at our Ankeny campus and uh, I often hear, we read about one Psalm a day, which means by the end of the year we'll have read the Psalms two and a half times. And I hear often from people reading along with us that they don't like the Psalms. (laughs) And so if you're you're sitting there going, I really don't like the Psalms. They just don't speak to me. It seems weird. You are not alone and it is okay. But let me tell you that the Psalms, the words that other people are praying can be your words too. David writes when he is fleeing King Saul. He writes most of the Psalms and he writes, he cries out to God. He laments is the fancy word. He tells God that he's angry, that he's scared. He asks God, get this, to strike down his enemies. Can you pray that? Yeah, it's biblical. And he praises God. 
There's so many psalms of praise too that even in his dark night, he's still praising who God is. This is Psalm 23 that was read for us earlier. David is writing this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, brings, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Even when we walk through the darkest valley, God is with us. He's right beside us. Even if we don't perceive that feeling, it doesn't mean he's not there. He promises to never leave us, to never forsake us. And here's the best news is that on the other side of the wall is total and complete freedom. On the other side of the wall is freedom. Isn't that amazing? Freedom from judging others. This, is, this comes right out of the book. And I love how Pete Cesaro writes about this because like I said, this is very deeply theological and he writes it very accessibly. So freedom, he says, from judging others. Here's what, here's what this means in Christian circles. Before our wall, and I'll use me as, a, as an example because I don't want to project any of my stuff on you. So, um, like I told you, I thought it was like a six on, on the stage cycle. And I was probably at like a three because then I hit a wall, right? Uh, when we're in those first stages of Christianity, we're pumped. And we also think we have everything figured out. I'll refer to me. I thought I had everything figured out. I thought I knew theology at this point, right? I'm a freshman in college. I grew up at Hope. Also, I'm super biased. I thought Hope was the best church in the world. And so anybody else from a different church, I was like, you just don't have it figured out. That's judging people. That's not cool. When you move past the wall, you don't judge people. You love them. Like your mindset literally shifts because God has done a deep and profound work in you. And you realize, I did not have that figured out. Same thing, freedom in our faith. We are less offendable. I like this. Uh, I would say pre my wall, I was probably a pretty offendable person. Like if somebody said something to me that didn't sit right, I would kind of be like, eh, okay. And then I would probably try to avoid that person because they offended me in some way, shape or form. When you move past the wall, you don't really get offended because here's the deal. Other people are going to have different beliefs than us. Political, theological, worldly, you name it. And at the end of the day, they're still our brother and sister in Christ. And so when something that might have offended you before or might have offended me before, on the other side of my wall, that was like, oh, sister, I love you. And that, that's between you and God. Like if that's what you think, that's between you and God. No judgment there, right? We become less offendable. We have freedom in appreciating mystery. We have freedom in appreciating who God really is. Pre the wall, we think we have God figured out. He kind of makes sense. We can't explain everything, right? Like the Trinity, I still can't explain that. Uh, but post wall, you're like, oh, I can't explain any of it. I teach our baptism class at Ankeny, and one of the parts of the baptism class is what actually happens in baptism. And straight up, I tell people, I don't know. I don't, God encounters us. Why? I don't know. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that he would want to encounter us in the waters of baptism, that he would want to encounter us when we take communion. But he does. Why? It's a mystery. He loves us so much that he says it is true and therefore it is true. We have freedom in waiting. Waiting's hard. I'm not really a patient person. I'm not sure I'll ever be a super patient person. But there's freedom in that. 
we learn to wait. You are a human being, not a human doing. And so when we wait, we learn to experience God in that time. And there's freedom in life, in all aspects of life, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, you name it. God brings freedom on the other side of a wall. A question to ask yourself, am I living in the freedom God has intended for me? Not just like a slice of that freedom, not just freedom at home or at work or at church. Are you living in the fullness of freedom that God has for you in every realm of life? That's what he wants for you, to be free, to be loved, to not be tied down by anything of this world. Are you free from those things? When you hit a wall, God is making you free. And it's hard and it feels like he's gone, but he will never, ever leave you or forsake you. That's a promise. That's not my words. Those are his words to you. So as you reflect on this tonight, I just want you to know you're not alone. When times get hard, whether it's a dark night or a trial, whatever it is, you're not alone. God walks with you. He loves you. He doesn't abandon you. And we do this in community together. And on the other side, so much freedom. And that's what he wants for you. Love and freedom to pour out of who you are. Thanks for listening, everyone. Revive West Des Moines happens every Thursday night at Hope in West Des Moines. And we'd love to connect with you on social media. So find us and let us know where you're listening from. And whenever you're in town, we would love to have you come to Revive and join us live. Peace out, Scouts.